You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist. Joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. It's a full house for our last new episode of the year. All right, we're going to wrap up 2023 with the best and worst from Opera Land over the past year, including performances, trends, passings, and that one thing you totally forgot happened back in February. Too real. Plus, we vote for the inaugural OBS Person of the Year. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Maybe that's going to be your New Year's resolution. You're going to mm. go to Spotify and click follow. You're going to go to Apple Podcasts. And so much hit effort. Hit the plus sign. Maybe you're going to send <laughs> us a voice memo and email us your hot takes. Time will tell. Mailbag at operaboxscore.com. You can even just record your thoughts using you got something to say. That's the page on the website, operaboxscore.com. We want to hear what you think is the best and the worst of opera. From the past year, however you contribute, you know, it's going to be in the stocking or under the tree. It's going to be the OBS Mm. beer coaster, the OBS lapel pin, and the all-new number one OBS fan foam finger, which was the office present here at OBS headquarters. (laughs) Tax deductible, baby. You have your foam finger. I do. You know, everybody thinks that they're going to subscribe or follow to podcasts in January. And then, like, you get to February. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to wait till next year to do it. (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there. You know, I think we should really start charging like a gym, you know, where you're locked into like a year long contract, you know, and even if you don't listen, you're still paying us every month and that'd be ideal. And you can donate right now at opera. That's called Patreon. Hmm. That's a Patreon. (laughs) Oh yeah, that is, isn't it? (laughs) What do you mean? I use all of my Patreons that I'm subscribed to. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> You're also amazing. Ashley, what's our sports nugget to get things going? Listen, usually about this time of year, I'm going to talk to you about an Arkansas football team, and I'm going to do that again today, but it's a different <laughs> Arkansas football team because the Division II NCAA National Championships were this weekend, and Harding University in tiny Searcy, Arkansas, Harding Bison, they are the national champs for Division II football. My 37th favorite president. It's a tiny little Church of Christ <laughs> school, 4,000 students in a 20,000-person town. This offensive game, George, this is for you because you're the one that understands football. Okay. Right. They only passed the ball 56 times all season. They rushed for 6,351 yards and 79 (laughs) touchdowns. They dominated. So congrats to the Harding Bison. Shout out, Cersei, Arkansas. Those statistics are incredible. Most SEC teams pass the ball 56 times in a single weekend. (laughs) Ian Wright has been a pundit uh, for the BBC's Match of the Day show, which is the sort of like recap of all the weekend's action in the English Premier League. Ian Wright, get this, he started on that show when I was in high school. He's now 60 and he's retiring from his cushy chair at do they not have a retirement age in the uk they can just retire whenever they want (laughs) he is he is such a delight and uh i it's it's a bittersweet moment that he is moving on to lord knows what because that must have been a really great gig let's talk some opera chalk talk on opera box score opera 
2023, the year in review. Here we go. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going to kick it off with the best trend in opera in the 2023 calendar year. Ashley, what do you got? Well, one of my personal favorites was seeing a whole lot of women of color making some big boss moves in the early parts of 2023. I'll even reference some specific OBS episodes for you. One of the first ones was Afton Battle making that big move from Mm. Fort Worth Opera coming to Lyric Opera of Chicago. I mean, Fort Worth Mm -hmm. flosses Mm -hmm. Chicago's game. So she's been doing some really incredible stuff here. She was, uh, we talked about her a little bit in our January episode number 349. Also, big boss lady making moves all year long. The one, the only, the queen herself, Carrie Ann Otonio of Opera Delaware. Uh, she was one of our, my, excuse me, favorite interviews that we did in an episode in February, episode number 352. I encourage you to go back and check that out. She is like just such a lovely human. Opera is dope. She's making it dope for the people of the first state. And it is very exciting to watch her go. Well, speaking of people of color, I think that is actually one of the trends I've noticed in opera this year. Uh, opera is just getting blacker. And Mm -hmm. it's so great. And I think maybe it's what's going to save (laughs) opera in the end. You know, it's like Black Panther came to the movies. Um, You know, (laughs) we've had great performances from people like Ryan Speedo Green and Angel Blue, Leah Hawkins starring as Tosca in Santa Fe, Rayanne Bryce Davis, friend of the show, uh, making her Met debut and also her Santa Fe debut this year. Obviously, Will Liverman has done so much this year. We There's True. too much to talk about. Um, I feel like, you know, there was uh, some initiatives, there were some promises that were made in 2020, and we're starting to see the deliverables on those promises from 2020. And I'm not mad about it. And uh, I think the cherry on the Sunday is uh, Rianne Giddens and Michael Abels is Omar winning the Pulitzer Prize and mm. getting two uh, revivals, you know, within a year of it debuting in Spoleto. Speaking of a lot of those incredible artists that you just mentioned, um, that kind of dovetails into mine, which is that... F- uh, so far, it seems like the the many, many predictions that the recording of opera industry at was nearing its end for the last 20 years <laughs> we've been reading this idea, that trend has not materialized. So the lack, the fact that there continue to be new uh, albums released every year, year after year, and while many of them are not the same kind of like sterile studio products that they used to be if if anything like that can be a really good thing like live performances like will liverman in fire shot up my in my bones that won a grammy award um and uh another positive motion that i'm seeing there is like apple music finally trying to tackle the intractable question of how do you find which recording you are looking for if you (laughs) care about who is on the recording with their improved metadata Uh, for apple music uh, like that's not a trend yet let's get it there i like if anyone needs a consultant like i'm happy to be a part of that conversation (laughs) i mean honestly between the five of us we should work for Apple Music and like help them Duh. with all of the all of the data that they're trying to add to their classical music app. Like we have that data in our brains, you know. I mean, yeah. they bought Bis, and we're definitely less expensive than Bis. <laughs> <laughs> My best trend of the year might be a little bit subjective to me, but I've noticed that there is an increasing. Uh, at, at least in a lot of the shows I saw over the past year, an increasingly uh, interesting directorial. 
uh, approach to a lot oh, of thanks, operas Weston. that I wasn't That's expecting. Very kind and, of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think that there's um, uh, I, I I was sort of puzzling in my brain as to why this is happening, or at least appears to be happening to me, uh, because we saw a lot of really well directed stuff, uh, especially recently. I really liked the Flying Dutchman that the lyric did, uh, uh, the Nose with a friend of the show, Francesca Zambello, just a few weeks ago. Um, lots of shows like that where there seems to be this focus on artistic intent uh, on, on the production side of things that I feel like has been missing from a lot of mainstream um, American opera companies for a long time. And I think part of that is 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 this this pandemic shift where uh, there was an uh, there was a sudden realization that, oh, new audiences actually want to see stories that are engaging to them. And that requires a strong director's perspective. Uh, I also think that this was the first full year where we weren't really seeing a lot of pandemic restriction restrictions in rehearsals mm-hmm. um, and in performances. So we could start to see a lot more coherent visions coming across that way. And I'm honestly really here for it. I, I, I really like Lyric Opera Chicago um, but I do not think of them first when I'm thinking of well-directed shows sometimes. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised several times throughout the season. Yenufo was another highlight in that regard. Um, uh, Weston, but, uh, if we continue yeah. to like accentuate the positive moving from best trend to just good news in general, it sounds like a lot of those uh, pandemic commitments you know, to diversity are, are still sticking around. And that's something that you yeah. are – going to hype okay so we're switching categories now this is the best news item of 2023 okay yeah i got a best news item here and and it it kind of bounces off i think what oliver was talking about with more people of color um being represented a lot more new operas being represented i think my it's almost not really a good news item but i liked seeing that north was it north carolina radio station Mm -hmm. getting embarrassed for uh (laughs) For its attempt to roll back some of the progress that had been uh, made. To cancel the Uh, match. They'll make an appearance later in the segment. We'll learn Uh, all about it. Oh, good. I'm so excited. But but I'm seeing a lot of, um, you know, with every move towards progress, you you see a lot of reactionary pushback online. And this is uh, some of the most... Uh, consistent mainstream pushback to the pushback that I've seen. And that one story just like made me feel so good that the, you know, in many ways it feels like the, the older conservative audiences win a lot in opera. And it was nice to see the public speak up and say, no, play the new operas, play the operas with controversial content, play the operas that are politically charged. This is important. This is what it's about. And I really love that. Play the opera in Spanish because uh, <laughs> exactly we, people because there was something Spanish so scandalous about yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> perish the thought Matt what was your good news good news for me uh, it has a quite a um, a local flavor and it was Lisette Oropesa finally making her lyric opera of Chicago debut in Daughter of the Regiment and it was an absolute star turn like yeah. just um, it it felt like watching an artist who like has been very hyped for many years and who is just truly at the top of her game live up to every expectation that I had for her just like knock curveballs and fastballs and everything like straight out of the park high notes galore she sounded incredible her french was yeah was beautiful she was funny she was spunky um she really made that 
that um that production sing and, and it was also nice to get to see her um alongside an old favorite Larry Brownlee uh and just to see how his artistry has continued to develop and, and how uh comfortable he is on stage in a role like Tonio who um doesn't have a lot of personality on the page but really has to on stage for it to like be an interesting opera. Oh, it sounds like you yeah. took a favorite performance category and wedged it into the good news category, man. Well, <laughs> what is a performance if not news? M- mine is <laughs> mine is also uh, performance centric good news, uh, and that would be the acknowledgement that friend of the show Catherine Lewick is the reigning queen of the night at the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, another story came out just from this past week in her doing the um, family performance, the um, you know abridged English language version at the Met, which aired uh, on the radio broadcast on Saturday. But she had already broken the record performing that role more than 54 times now uh, on the Met stage. I think that's the, the she has the record for being the queen of the night. And she is certainly my over 200 Fs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my good news is also about um, performance, but this is more unscripted performance. The mm. Extinction Rebellion protests that happened at <laughs> Les Mis uh, and Tannhäuser more recently that is for real. That is beautifully crafted theater. It is impactful. It is important. Look, think about a recent interview that opera director Katie Mitchell, who's English, did uh, with The Guardian, I believe it was, saying that all her work now, and she's directed operas, oratorios, plays, all her work is going to be addressing climate chaos. Because as she says, that is the big issue mm. of our time right now. And as an artist, that is the only thing she can do to help fight this fight. I have nothing but kudos and credit to Extinction Rebellion, and I okay. want to see more of that happen. Okay, I'm. This is where we get more into sports radio territory here because I I disagree <laughs> with you. Good, uh, I'm glad to hear it. I think that uh, it's very dangerous to do a protest like that uh, in this day and age of you know um, gun violence and terrorism uh how are the audience and remember who's at the opera right uh, how is this audience supposed to know the show stopping and people don't know what's going on they hear something happening somewhere in the audience and they turn the house lights up and everybody's looking for the exit you know like how do how are how's the audience supposed to know that what's happening is a peaceful protest well, they have visuals for a start, which they which they use. I, okay. I don't see how people... I've, I've just heard from audiences that they were horrified when that happened at Tannhäuser. Horrified. And people were looking for the exits and trying to get out of there as fast as possible. Climate chaos is horrific. Yes, you're absolutely right. And people are like now paying attention, like really paying attention. People with money, people with power. Are they though? Or, or, or do they feel victimized by it? Like, I... I question how I, I question how effective it, it 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 is at the end of the day. Frankly, I've, I I don't I don't know if we know yet how how effective it is, but it is certainly getting people to sit up and take notice. And I I see no reason that they're going to stop. Why target opera? Because it, the theater is a wasteful art form. That's why you work in opera. We all work in opera. Yes, and one of my commitments to this art form is to budget and reuse and repurpose things in a way that takes into account environmental sustainability. 
We can move on to the rest of the good news. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> the National Institute of Health is doing a lot of neuro brain development studies, specifically with classical music and opera. Uh, there was actually a publication that came out in August of this year. Uh, some doctors at UC Berkeley use computer models to try to reconstruct a piece of music from brain activity that was elicited in listeners. This is going to be great for a number of things. It's going to help people with, uh, with cognitive regeneration. It's going to help people with communication, developmental delays. There are a number of ways in which music and its electrical activity within the brain can serve a number of disorders in humans. And I'm really excited that the NIH is using specifically classical music and opera to help really drive this study. Thank you for that. Let's go over to the bad news. And Matt, you'll want to start with Extinction Rebellion. Uh, <laughs> extinction of a, of a sort, it, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. And it, it is that budgetary woes abound. I mean, we have covered ad nauseum the kerfuffle around english national opera and ace Con- and arts council of england uh the met is not doing so great met, including their guild uh cot having to cancel plate and in oh. just in general across the industry numbers are not back to where they were pre-pandemic and they weren't great then um so we might be in for uh a couple of white knuckle years here uh i hope i'm wrong <laughs> Yeah, I would say I, I agree with that. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of big ones. Numbers are also looking pretty scary in, in, uh, at Bayreuth. Uh, I would say I'm not so scared about, you know, opera in general, but a lot of these sort of grand opera institutions are, are the ones that are really feeling the hit right now as, um, you know, as audiences fail to rebound and donors fail to open their uh, their purses quite as readily as, readily as they used to. Uh, the one that really gets me, I think, is the sort of the extreme reduction in the in Chautauqua opera, just because of the historic significance of mm-hmm. Chautauqua as an institution in the opera world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think we could talk about that for a long time and in detail, and we have this year. Just check any of our previous podcasts. Um, so I, I think my, my one sort of bad news it's maybe not quite as bad because it's on to bigger and better things. But I'm very sad about Lydia Yankovskaya leaving Chicago Opera Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, That's true. We, we have talked about it before, um, but she has really done a lot to raise the profile of the uh, Second City's second opera company. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, I'm really going to miss her. I'm glad that she's staying on in some capacity. Um, but uh, I think that CSO should rehire, hire her to replace Ricardo Muti as soon as possible, or else we're going to uh, miss out on <gasps> her before imagine? too long. Oh, That'd be amazing. Crazy. There's not a chance in hell they'll do that, crazy. but I wish. Yeah, the English National Opera moving to Manchester is definitely one of the worst things I think has happened uh, to England and to national and to opera. I, I don't understand <laughs> it. I don't like it. It's going to end in tears. It made me also think much earlier in the year, of course, the King Singers had that debacle in Florida. Do you remember that? Where they oh, were sure, yeah. doing a concert and then they were canceled because one of them is quite rightly, uh, openly, proudly gay. And so they were punished for that. And this gig was ca- just... It's just so despicable. A couple of my bad news items. Um, definitely the cancellation of Plate. I'm taking dovetailing from what Matt said. Mm-hmm. That's like yeah. my opera. I love that opera so much. Mm. And I was so excited for Chicago audiences to finally see it. And that's not happening. And on top mm. of which, friend of the show, <laughs> Gary Wado was supposed to be the conductor for that. So he's yeah. also out one mm. gig. Um, 
One of my least favorite stories of this year was when the Met Orchestra took a stand against Natalie Stutzmann when mm, she yeah. was doing yeah, a preview. Was... She was previewing the new Magic Flute production and talked about how the orchestra pit was going to be raised, that the orchestra could really be a part of the show. And they are actively part of the show if you saw it, you know. So that's what she was talking about. But it was misconstrued very uncharitably, and it made it sound like she was saying that the orchestra doesn't know what's happening on stage, that they're not engaged, which is not what she said. But um, it was, I think, really a bad look for the Met uh, instrumentalists. And um, that profile of Angela Georgiou that came out about the rehearsal of Tosca <laughs> and how chaotic right. she was in that rehearsal process when she was like arriving and, uh, you know, they had already had this production that she didn't care for it. And she was trying to like mm -hmm. reblock it and restage it and change things around and to fit how she wanted the opera to go. And then later on that day, the day the story was published, she withdrew from the production <laughs> because she was she, sick. Apparently. She unfortunately had COVID and had to withdraw. Yeah. And we well, were, we were missed the, uh, we, we were all denied her grand return to that stage. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was that story that happened around the same time of uh, Sonia Yancheva uh, getting into a fight. I forget on Twitter, maybe it was, or Facebook, yeah. uh, with somebody who was commenting on her performance. And uh, maybe it was about her phrasing in, in uh, Norma. And she's like, how dare you, whatever dislike my phrasing <laughs> and so she dropped out of norma <laughs> which is like it was a really hard double bill she was supposed to be doing fedora and then shortly after norma which is something that maria she Callis was just getting ready for the callus 100 a yeah. couple months That's, early yeah, yeah she was just prepping she was getting her steps in before she but really had to dedicate herself on the our, calendar did sonia yancheva make herself uh the bet noir is she ever coming back you know like i don't i we haven't gotten a season announcement yet but uh, maybe she's not coming back. There were a lot of what I would consider gross news stories that came out this year, which is why I am starting a new segment called uh, the first annual OBS Gross Awards for the grossest <laughs> news items of the year. And the nominees are first in September, we reported in episode 383 about David Daniels emerging from wherever and whatever slimy rock he was hiding under to let people know <laughs> he was getting contracts in Europe. And somehow everybody that I admired and respected was weirdly okay with it. Not everybody, but a good chunk of people. But at any rate, David Daniels coming back. Gross. No, thank you. Uh, the next nominee is from October. It was in episode number 386. Deb Proctor, who is the head of programming over at WCPE in North Carolina. Oh, Weston yes. might have mentioned this mm. earlier. Right. Deb Proctor let Jesus do the opera programming and decided to ditch <laughs> a bunch of the Met broadcasts <laughs> because the Lord led her to <laughs> let him be the guide for the programming so and no, punish the wokes yes no thank you and finally the final nominee in this category is literally every Anna Netrebko story <laughs> that we reported on in the year 2023 <laughs> episode 357 that we did in March where her manager was whining because somebody talked mess about her in Develt magazine in August <laughs> episode number 378 is where she sues Peter Gelb and the Met for all of the 
whatever that she decided to sue them for. Also in August number 380, she got a cancel or a concert canceled because of people's strong feelings about Russia. What a shocker there. And then finally, episode number 384 in September, the Berlin Intendant started showing support for her and her Macbeth because she's so misunderstood. Uh, so at any rate, I just don't know if we can pick a winner for the gross awards, but there they are. I love how you came with the the the, the episode numbers for every single Anna yeah. Tropko story <laughs> that we did that's this gonna year. That's going to be some uh, in the weeds for our, our listeners if they want to go yeah. back to try to yeah. figure out what our numbering system yeah. is. <laughs> but um, no, but she's made her return. I mean, she just per- mm. made her role debut as Elizabeth in Don Carlo. And um, she got great reviews. So for what it's worth, um, she And continues. again, I say gross. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to do you want to name a winner of the uh, OBS 2023 grossy? I mean, I think the grossy award goes to us because we're all the losers because we have to sit through this stuff. Here, you know? <laughs> Beautifully played. Exactly. More best and worst from 2023 coming up in just one second. Opera Class, Sports Radio Crass. This is Opera Box Score. We're back to take a quick little break and talk about the best sports story of 2023 before we get you back into the opera. We're going to kick it off with Ashley Hardgrave. Um, I'm going to amend this category from best to best biggest. Uh, So the biggest sports stories of the year. I've got two. I've got a boo and a yay. Uh, The boo I will begin with, and it is the redrawing, pardon me, gutting of the college sports map, punishing all collegiate sports teams because Texas wanted to join the (laughs) SEC in football. Um, There's, you know, we had a a power five when it came to football. Now we sort of have a hardy four. Uh, But there's a really great interview with uh, UCLA's Chip Kelly, where he gives a proposition for seven separating football from all of the other collegiate sports, because that's really what's driving this, is that men's NCAA football is really what is pushing people. They're all flocking and bottlenecking to conferences like the SEC. So that's my boo story, is that we've been gutting these maps. The yay story is that we have significantly more women's sports making national headlines. Hooray, hooray. We've got Angel Reese, the rock star over at LSU. We've got Caitlin Clark setting all time records. She's a University of Iowa athlete, but she is setting all-time records for any athlete in any collegiate sport. It's mind-blowing. Nebraska set an attendance record for any women's sport ever at a women's volleyball game this year. They had 92,000 people there. So it's been really exciting to see these like little moments in women's sports history. First of all, shattering records of women or men's sports history, but also being like the leading headline for ESPN and Sports Illustrated. It's wonderful to see. Oliver Camacho, your best or biggest sports story for 2023. I mean, everybody knows my brand here. I'm going to talk a little bit about tennis. And I think the story of the year is the rise and fall of Carlos Alcaraz. It was his year to lose. Uh, I think he peaked at Wimbledon. He beat Djokovic in a thrilling uh, final. And then he just never refound his form. You know, right. he had some he had yeah. some good results. But, you know, that's June or whatever. That's July. And uh, he did not find, you know, that form again and so it's at this point we have to say that it's a mental game for him and uh unfortunately Novak Djokovic is the uh the clear champion when it comes to having a mental game but it did make way for us to uh learn about players like Yannick Sinner who is an extremely exciting player to watch in 2024. Matt Cummings sports for you in 23. I mean definitely 
big news that this was the first year of tennis without Serena Williams. But not never fear, we have another goat who is back on the scene, and that is the return of Simone Biles. So get ready, everybody. The Olympics are coming, and I will have something to say in sports talk. <laughs> Weston, I, I shudder to think what you how you might answer this question. Well, I, I mean, legally speaking, I am from Alabama, so I'm only in no, allowed to know one thing in sports. And let me just check my notes. Uh, it just says roll tide with a question mark. Oh, I do have God. one other sports thing, though. My TikTok feed has recently uh, led me to a sport that is almost as entertaining as the tide rolling over Auburn during the Iron Bowl, even though it was a bit of a nail biter for a while there. Uh, the um, I have been served for some reason video after video after video of soapbox races sponsored by uh, Red oh, wow. Bull. And it's it's just okay. uh, a lot of a lot of people going down in goofy little carts that are very poorly constructed that have very funny helmets and very funny sort of cardboard and styrofoam constructions. And they all wipe out hilariously, and it might be the best sport ever made. Amazing. Not what I thought you were going to say, although, Ashley, you're going to explain to us what Roll Tide actually means. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, saints of the church, boys and girls, dear listeners, uh, you are going to hear from people who have come from the state of Alabama a phrase called Roll Tide, uh, and that is their general greeting, rallying cry for their <laughs> University of Alabama Crimson Tide. Think of it as shalom roll tide, roll. or aloha. It's a greeting. It's a celebratory okay. remark. It's all sorts of things. It's not that a mating is call, is it? So. <laughs> Actually, yes. It, it can be. Cases, it can be. <laughs> roll cases, Tide! Absolutely roll is. Tide! That's, well, That's my new worst of 2023. That is the worst. <laughs> Best sports story for me, of course, was... Uh, Wolverines coach Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines for the last three games of the season because of alleged sign stealing. Let me just say this. The Wolverines Ugh. will gladly play the role of villain in the Big Ten and the college football playoff. Weston, need I remind you that the next time you and I lock eyes, someone will be in tears. I remember, George. And it's probably <laughs> going to be you, George. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Lots more opera coming your way for 2023. We're going to kick it off again with the best performances witnessed live in the theater. Ashley Hardgrave, set us up. What was your best performance of the year? It absolutely has to be grounded at Washington National Opera and the Kennedy Center. I mean, you got 300 LCD screens with incredible projections that of fighter pilots and air scenes and drones and the the production values were outstanding the performance and the storytelling and the direction were what really moved you uh it was also about a month into the current conflict that we see on the other side of the world but you know the newest one uh and so it was very poignant to be watching the evolution of american warfare told in this art form that we love so much uh in a beautiful space in our nation's capital uh so it was it was poignant for a lot of things about who and where we are in time but it was also just beautiful music making and beautiful storytelling and i will never forget it oliver what was your best performance of the year so many contenders with performances from opera philadelphia and the boston early music festival all the performances i see in chicago um, and Santa Fe. And I think the thing that has stuck with me the most since I've seen it, and the thing I still think about is the production of Palais Emelisande at Santa Fe Opera. Really? Uh, yeah. And like while I was watching it, I didn't understand it. 
but I knew that there were things that I would want to think about later on. Mm. And the more mm. I think about it and look at the images from that show and remember the performances, the more I'm gutted about it. And uh, it's just, it was such a stark and like nihilistic uh, interpretation of that show uh, with ideas about climate change, actually, and about the future mm. and about violence towards women, domestic violence. And I just remember Samantha Hankey being uh, dragged around on stage by Zachary Nelson, who I know is a very nice guy, but I remember that scene so much and it still like makes me emotional to think about it because she had so much dignity while she was being abused because awesome. she like knew it was going to happen. She wasn't surprised about it, you know, and uh, it harkens back to the opening scene of the show, you know, where she's just kind of numb and doesn't um, express any kind of joy or fear or anything while well, she expresses fear, but she just seems very like okay with what's happening to her you know that's her personality like she knows that meeting this guy is going to be bad news for her but mm. it's just like her cycle it's her it's the the story of her life and she's that's what she come to expect misery so <laughs> anyway also it had hugh montague rendell um and he is incredible uh i want all of you to look him up and uh watch his content and keep your eye on him because he is uh Ooh, he's a very, very special artist. Matt, what do you got? I, um, even with uh my my Monday evening quarterback on it, I still don't think I could say enough good things about Yanufa at Lyric Opera of Chicago. It was simply one of the best things I have ever seen on stage. It's an opera I have long loved the score to, um, and have really wanted to see live in person. And it just doesn't get done enough, even though I really think it should. Like, it's a really, it's an incredibly searing drama. And the score is at this interesting crossroads of like romantic and modern that where I really think that there's a lot for everyone there, even though it maybe, uh, uh, doesn't seem like the most approachable just because of like how complicated the family tree aspects of it are. Um, but the music is so, so powerful and just provides an, uh, a really powerful canvas for truly great performances, which in this case were Lisa Davidson, um, who you can't get through a best of 2023 episode without mentioning mm-hmm. Lisa Davidson. <laughs> um, because it, it is, the voice is just the real deal. You, it is a voice that you feel in your body more than you hear it with your ears. Like it just completely envelops you and you, f- the resonance and the vibration of it, it, like you become one with her sound. It, it, it's so penetrating. And just to get to see Nina Stemma's next phase of her career as she moves into the the character mezzo roles and like can still be an absolute force of nature. It, it was I was bowled over. And Weston, did you also have a Chicago based show? I did. Yeah, uh, I, I really uh, it felt feels like cheating because it happened like two weeks ago. But I <laughs> loved the nose uh, that Chicago Opera Theater did. Uh, I think it was a great nos. production. <laughs> Nos, um, I, I love the opera. It, the Nos has been one of my favorites for a, a long, long time. Uh, it's just a, it's a great introduction to uh, atonal music writing. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It doesn't. It's hard to translate, which is why it rarely gets done. Um, but man, they did their darndest, and it was also great to like see. Uh, a company like COT throwing itself at something that was genuinely a challenge, you know, uh, coming from, you know, uh, places that are not Chicago <laughs> in the deep south, the uh, the 
uh, deep and abiding, um, not wanting to do anything super unfamiliar or super challenging um, uh, is, is something that I feel like I've gotten more than used to in my opera. And I think the nose was such a philosophical breakaway from that. And with some great performances in there, Alexei Bogdanov was phenomenal. Um, Lydia Yankovskaya, of course, did her last, uh, conducting session, um, as music director with it. And it was an amazing performance. I did feel like I was kind of cheating because I was like, am I just like a goldfish? I can only remember the last show I watched. So I looked through <laughs> all the other shows of the year and Yenufa was, yeah. was up there too. But like, I was like, I think that really is it. I did want to mention a little bonus, um, best performance from way back, I think in March, uh, that Oliver actually was in the same room as me for. It wasn't really an mm -hmm. opera, but it was a performance with the Jupiter Ensemble and Lea Desandre. Um, they sang some, uh, Vivaldi, uh, and it was, it was a great, great show. Not, not a complete opera, so it doesn't quite, you know, fit on this list, but I think it no, was, it's uh, a performance. It's a performance. Yeah, exactly. And I, I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was a great show. Um, uh, amazing musicality the energy was was so exciting even with the small forces um and that's what i go to the opera for so I'll, I'll give that one a gold star as well you already said it but let me just say it in a different way about the nose the score the, the score is very difficult the musicians that chicago opera theater had access to at the beginning of lydia Yankovskaya's reign or tenure yes. uh would not have been able to pull that score off but Absolutely. After not. years of working with probably a lot of those musicians and knowing who in Chicago she would contract for that show just shows how much mm. she learned about Chicago while she was here that she yeah. could pull yeah. an opera like that off. It was remarkable. My 2023 in performances was the year of trying to get my whole family to go to the theater together. And my son and I, we did see Hansel and Gretel, the Richard Jones production at Lyric Opera of Chicago way back in January. But that was really it specifically for opera. Then as a family, we saw Cats. 1776, Brigadoon, <laughs> Chestnuts at the American Musical Theater. I would also go on to see MJ on the national tour and at the Goodman Theater, Tommy. It's hard to pick between some phenomenal productions. That production of Tommy, which I assume is going to go to Broadway, was absolutely lights out. And Chris Jones of the Chicago Tribune also picked it as his number one show for the year. PJ, our friend and correspondent, said it was all about the new for him in 2023. New singers, new productions, new operas like The Hours, Malcolm X, Champion, Fire Shut Up in My Bones, Florencia and El Amazonas, obviously all stuff in New York City at the Met. He goes on to say it's not necessarily all new to the world, but it was new to him. And of course, a giant thrill, PJ said, was finally seeing a production he's wanted to see all his life Poulong's Dialogues of the Carmelites. Moving over to best performances that were in HD or streaming live, I'm going to tell you right now, I gave up on streaming in 2023, and I even made a camera <laughs> opera specifically to be streamed, and I still couldn't like, bear to watch anything else. So well, well you know, George, out. I... I I didn't make it to any of the live in HDs this year, but that's just because we have PJ now and we don't have to anymore. It's just me then. <laughs> I just want to, I want to shout out the um, Mozart double feature uh, that we got from Natalie Stutzmann conducting the Evil Von Hova production of Don Giovanni and the um, Simon McBurney production of The Magic Flute. 
both were amazingly cast, especially Ana Maria Martinez as Dona Elvira and Federica Lombardi as Dona Ana. Those were some baller performances. And Ying Fang as Zerlina. Not much that Ying that Zerlina can do to compete with the really like showy music of Dona Elvira and uh, Dona Ana, but she held her own in her lane. But that was such a thrilling thing to see. And we have, uh, you know, sort of the inside look at that show uh, with our interview with Marcus Shields that we had earlier this year, who was an assistant to Eva Von Hova. Uh, that episode is called uh, Distraction Tactics, I think it's what it's called. Um, so go back into the feed, or actually, maybe we'll create a bonus episode for you all to hear Ooh, one, like of, one of one oh, of my favorite tuned. interviews. Yeah, one of my favorite ep- uh, interviews from this past calendar year. And then she followed that up with the controversial orchestra raised uh, magic flute, <laughs> uh, which had Aaron Morley as Pamina, friend of the show, Catherine Lewick. They're all friends of the show, actually. Um, Catherine Lewick doing her thing as Queen of the Night, and. Larry Brownlee, mm. who has entered into a new era in his performance, uh, he has found something now where he is much more confident. On, so he's always had the vocal goods, but yeah. as a performer, he's a new artist. And it was very exciting to see him deliver in such a stylish version of Magic Glue with a very specific point of view from the, from the production itself able to fit into that type of production and do what the director was looking for and really deliver on the concept. I thought it was a really, really impressive from him. Man, Oliver, now you and I are on the same page, name dropping the directors, Eva Van Hova, Simon McBurney. <laughs> These are absolute legends. Perhaps I need to revisit that HD stream. Lastly, in the performance section, these are for uh, shows that are on video or pre-recorded. Clearly, Ashley and I were far too busy watching Ted Lasso to watch any <laughs> uh, opera pre-recorded. But uh, here we go. It but Matt Cummings, season. you might have something. Mine is not a video, but it is the new uh, Antonio Papano set of Torrento that came out in the spring. Uh, and particularly his female cast on that album sounds incredible. And Manella Yaho is the Liu on it. Uh, and she is like a really utility knife player. She sings all over Europe. She's recorded some on Opera Rara, but there just isn't enough evidence of like her artistry on record. So it's always good to have a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, I'm saving the best for last. Everyone on this podcast, if you've ever heard me talk before, knows how I feel about Sandra Radvanovsky. Uh, and Turandot is just such a is such a good role for her because she can make that punishing punishing Tessitura sound like nothing. And she can sing the loud loud and she can sing the quiet quiet and she sure did. Um Jonas Kaufman did not come off so well as either of them, but no nothing more needs to be said about that. <laughs>
I also did not bother with video. I've always been an audio guy, but we had some some decent recordings of some Baroque operas out of Europe, uh, which I'm sure Oliver has much more uh, informed opinions about. Uh, I want to give a little highlight to Lord of Cries getting a studio recording with a bunch of friends of the show. That was great. Um, I think the best uh, sort of solo album of the year for my money was probably the Michael Spires um, Contra Contra Tenor album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, which was uh, fantastic. And I am uh, like, I think I said when it came out, I'm not a big solo singer album kind of guy. I like to listen to operas within the context of what the composer was thinking. But vocally, the range and the intensity is it, it is it's an incredible album. And it uh, and it I think it deserves to be uh, pretty high up, uh, pretty high up there for anybody's list uh, for best recorded performance. want to give a little bonus shout out to my personal favorite album which isn't really fully opera even though it has the same title as one der ferne klang is a collection of um oh gosh uh, of uh it's franz schrecker's orchestral music and songs and it has a, a musical interlude from the opera der ferne klang which is very confusing and i hate the way they named it but it's got Why like uh, Matthias Gerner in it, uh, and it's got some uh, world premiere recordings in there. And I love Schreker, just the 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 most hyper romantic uh, <laughs> composer ever. And it's so well recorded, beautifully engineered album. Uh, it is hard, 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 hard to record um, something with that size of an orchestra with those scale of voices. Uh, and they nailed it. It's it's well worth checking out. Since the recording I listened to the most in 2023, I, I just discovered actually came out in 2022. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that is um, Jupiter Ensemble, to recall. Weston's, oh, that's a good uh, one. Good performance. 
It's it's the Le Desandre and Justin Davies duet album of Handel Oratorios. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's so good. You'll listen to it from start to finish and you will just be eternally in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so along that vein, um, Harry Bickett, as we know, with uh, the English consort is in this project uh, to record everything by Handel over the next whatever uh, 10 years. I forget. We, 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 it was one of our drill stories, but there. I mean, that's not going to take long. There's only like four shows. So there's, yeah. So there, uh, Harry Bickett is becoming a Handel completist. And the, the entry for 2023 is Cersei, uh, with an amazing cast, uh, led by Emily D'Angelo, Lucy Crow, and Daniela Mack is also wow. a friend, friend of the show, also <laughs> in the cast. Uh, so take a listen to that. If you are, uh, interested in hearing a really good Cersei, which actually is, it's been recorded quite a number of times, but it, there's not really a good one out there until this one. y'all it's gonna get dark for a little bit in the next couple blocks here but don't worry opera person of the year 2023 awaits you in just a few minutes ashley i want to throw it over to you we had a lot of smackdowns there's no such thing as a worst smackdown there's only a best smackdown what were some (laughs) of the best smackdowns there there were lots to celebrate this uh this go round and i even have episode names and numbers so if you're a new listener to the show you can absolutely go back and check them out uh so the first one we did this year. It was going to be in March this year. It was episode number 360. If you're looking for a title, it's called Seventh Inning Stretta. Uh, and what we did is we took the all of the teams that were in the NCAA Men's Basketball Final Four and we pitted their fight songs against <laughs> yes. each other. And we had a showdown to episode. see who had the big battle so to the finish. It was a hoot. It's so funny. It's such a delight. I really encourage you to check it out. Then you can scroll a little bit further back in, or sort of forward, rather, into July, into episodes 375 through 377. We did a TKO Mozart v. Mozart v. Mozart for the best Mozart act in opera. I thought that was an incredible series of segments, even though I lost and we should have won. I'm just saying. I also think it was an incredible series of segments <laughs> as the winner. Spoiler alert. As the reigning champion, Mr. Cummings. And then finally, in August, episode 379, which I believe we called a Thirst Trap featuring Hugh Montague Rendell. Uh, that was where the Women's World Cup was happening. And so what we did is we had a battle between the most famous singers for each of the... Uh, each of the teams that were in the finals of the Women's World Cup. It was a real, real hoot. And again, I always love uh, battling with these gentlemen and talking technique and artistry and art form. So if you want some just good-natured, sports-themed, operatic humor, those three smackdowns are definitely worth a listen. Did 
Thank you for that. Did we not even predict the finalist and the winner of the World Cup correctly based on we famous We absolutely singers? did, Just based saying. on famous singers. Just it's saying. infallible. We, we've nailed it every it time. It really is. This it's is a real science. part of the show, which brings me a little <laughs> bit low, I have to admit. Of course, Exit Stage Right is a repeat feature on the two-minute drill. And of course, we lost some big, big names in 2023. Matt, I want to start with you. Who are some folks who did, in fact, exit stage right? One of the earlier legends that we lost in the first half of the year uh, is the great, great, great mezzo and later soprano, Grace Bunbury, uh, who was a pioneer uh, in one of, not in, you know, racial equity in opera casting. She famously made an an iconic debut at Bayreuth playing Venus and Tom Heuser uh, and had had an ovation that shook the, that house to its foundation pretty much <laughs> um just like cannot be overstated how important her contributions to the repertoire are um and also t- uh in terms of opera criticism and opera love um james jordan the the founder of parterre mm. box was a huge loss in 2023 uh the, it started as an e-zine uh back in the 90s and it yeah. b- became the f- i would say Probably the foremost, you know, blog, chat room, comment section, nest of vipers about opera yes. on the web, yeah. uh, yes. where all of the uh, all of the people in the know ex- exchange barbs, exchange takes, um, picked apart performances, the good and the bad, uh, and that's just a huge loss. I just want to update everybody on Parterre. Uh, I reached out to Harry Rose, who is now part of a small steering committee to keep Parterre going. Uh, so the future of Parterre is in the hands of friend of the show, Harry Rose, and his Excellent. colleagues, Chris Corwin, Nick Scholl, and Joel Rosen. Those are the main members of Parterre's future. We definitely lost some other folks uh, this year who uh, were, were tremendous losses for the, for the opera and the music community. And I'm really proud of the extended tributes we did for each of these folks. Uh, in August, we lost Renata Scotto, and we did a pretty, actually Matt put together a really incredible uh, tribute for her. And that's uh, episode number 380. And then finally, last week's episode, episode 396, this December, we lost Marlena Malice, which is an incredible, mm. sad, heart-wrenching, devastating blow to the uh, opera and the singing teaching communities. And also gave me yet another opportunity to cry on the airwaves about an experience with her. So, uh, but both of those women were really important to our art form and they will be missed. And just to dovetail on important uh, artists who were also known as teachers, uh, I would say that Virginia Ziani yeah, uh, had a large, uh, large list, a long list of uh, famous singers um, that were her students at some point or another, including a friend of the show, Eileen Perez. My uh, sort of big highlighted exit stage right is not a person, but rather an institution. Um, of course, not as tragic as the loss of a person, but I think uh, just as impactful when you think about the legacy of what Opera News represented before its untimely demise earlier this year, um, and absorption and uh, onlineification of whatever it will be going forward. Opera News, um, maybe not the most uh, uh, the most trusted 
uh, a source of information about, you know, Met style shows because they were, you know, uh, under the hand of the Met. And a lot of people thought that they kind of represented kind of an old school establishment kind of uh, reporting on opera, which is, I think, fair. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I remember when I told um you know, my father, who is of a certain generation who grew up reading opera news his entire life, that uh, the, it was going away. And I remember just like the shock on his face that this institution yeah. had fallen. Um, and it, and I I think that, you know, the loss of opera news was uh, a lesson for people who want to keep opera going. Um, that it is not just the opera companies we should be concerned about. We should also be concerned about the educational aspect. We should be concerned with the health of institutions like Opera News or, you know, Parterre Box even or um, Opera Box Score, dare I say, um, to sustaining and pushing the form forward through criticism and commentary. And uh, I think it was a really big loss. And I don't think that... Uh, that that's necessarily felt by everyone, but I know that within the next you know few decades we're going to be missing a publication like Opera News. Opera News had some stats in it occasionally, and crunching the numbers Transition. again. Another uh, segment that we have on on Two Minute Drill. I, when I think back in 2023 about surprising numbers that I came across, for me it was finding out that um, Anthony Freud. What, of Lyric Opera of Chicago was Chicago's highest paid leader of an arts not-for-profit in Chicago with a salary of just shy of $750,000. I Oof. choked on my English breakfast tea when I read that. I was <laughs> On your beans and toast you choked? Uh, my baked beans on toast. That's exactly right. It might have right. just yes. been the beans and toast, George. <laughs> it, it could have been that, yeah. I, I thought that was high. And of course, he moves. He's retiring now. Also in twenty twenty three, there's there's a, a gap at the the top of uh, lyric, and that was a surprising amount of money. I thought that was heading his way. Ashley, what do you got? What's some surprising numbers from the past year? Well, I pulled two figures just to sort of highlight two ends of the. Uh size spectrum of opera houses and opera companies. And so the first number that I have for you is $400,000, which is the amount that Tulsa Opera said it basically needed to have per show and did not have. So it canceled two of the shows in their season, one last fall, and then another one has been canceled for May. And so there's 400,000 there. And then there's the figure of $30 million. Uh, and that is the amount that the Metropolitan Opera withdrew from their endowment in the very first parts of 2023 to right Oof. the ship. So this is our spectrum for well, and also, let's talk about the fact that the Met has that much in their endowment to pull out to balance right. things around that and yeah, it's really exactly. only it's really only 10% of their endowment. So yeah, the from needing 400,000 to put on a show to 30 million to riding the ship of the biggest house in America. Wow, those are I mean, yeah, 400k is almost like a rounding error to the Met at this point. 400k is an and an Atrebco settlement, I think you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Oliver. What? In response to Tay Tay. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry. I was you're queuing me up. So, I just wanted to include this category in uh, at the end of this show because, um, you know, Time Magazine named Taylor Swift as Person of the Year and. Mm. 
you know, great for her. Like, I, I have no compunction with that. Oliver on but, record as not trying to anger the Swifties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. no, no, no. I mean, um, she's a singer. She's a singer. She's yeah. a vocalist. So that's yeah. a good thing. So, I, I mean, you know, the, the, a musician being named Person of the Year is a good thing. That's I'll just say that, you know, regardless of who it is, it, it could have been. And, and and especially given the fact that she's known for running her private jet and we know how much Oliver hates the environment from earlier in this episode. <laughs> so anyway, you're going to get the Swifties mad now uh, and they will cancel us. Um, <laughs> but I just saw a bunch of activity on social media, like people, people that I respect and, you know, people who are my colleagues get all up in arms about this. Like, what did she do? You know? It's like, you're not paying attention to what she's doing. Don't pretend that She restarted the global economy. That's (laughs) what she did. She brought Chicago's tourism back with her weekend of concerts alone. American cities need to be grateful for her. And she did it through the power of the sung human voice, right? Let us acknowledge that. And the power of mediocre songwriting. Oh, Weston, ah, seriously, dude, you really, you really are trying to Just we step in it left tr- and right. Dude, yeah. I knew you were trouble when you walked in, Weston. <laughs> no, seriously, Weston, you don't know the power of the Swifties. That's not even They're going to find me. I do. I'm on TikTok. Yeah. You know. um, so anyway, I just thought that we should have our own, since there is obviously an opera personality would never be considered for <laughs> Person of the Year in Time magazine, that mm. we should uh, be the, you know, the journalistic organization that names the 2023 person of the year. So um, who wants to go first to nominate somebody? Weston, since you're obviously not. I'll, I'll go first. With Taylor Swift, I mean, so. I'll, I'll go with the um, the Taylor Swift of the Chicago opera land scene, uh, Lydia Yankovskaya. Uh, she will not be part of the Chicago land opera scene for long, apparently, but, but uh, one, one can only hope. Uh, Lydia Yankovskaya really was a, uh, uh, a, a force to be reckoned with. I I remember the first the first show I ever saw her conduct. I could tell the leaps and bounds that the orchestra was making, that the singers were making the the um the adventurous nature of each season going forward. Her undeniable charisma, um, her complete uh and total dedication to her art. While still managing to be a mother, you know, see a previous episode from the Opera Box Score about that, uh, uh, to being a mentor, to like an encouraging new artists uh, through the, um, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the program, uh, new composers in Vanguard. Chicago. Vanguard Initiative, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, really just uh, in, in what was really not a very long tenure at Chicago Opera Theater, leaving such a huge impact on the uh, Chicago classical music scene. Um, and it's it, it, it really kind of blows my mind um, that she was able to do all that. And she's still, you know, uh, still quite young as an artist and very much an up and comer. And she's going to be she's going to be very huge very soon. Um, so even if she doesn't win opera person of the year, 2023, she will very soon <laughs> within the next few years. Can we just say person of the year and stop taking qualifying everything as opera? Cause that's basically, our that's fair. That's fair. We, 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 yeah. we have that authority. This is the person, the person <laughs> Matt. All right. I'm going to nominate Ryan Speedo green. 
who this year has been singing all over the place, not least in uh, his highly acclaimed and very much buzzed about turn in Champion. Uh, he also won this year's Beverly Sills Award, which I've always said is the Golden Globes to the OBS Person of the Year, um, <laughs> the Oscar. <laughs> and just anytime we are talking about Ryan Speedo Green uh, and, y- you know, the conversation turns to his own personal narrative of finding opera and music as a troubled youth, um, I just think that that's a great story to be to like to have representation on this stage and as a part of this industry and as a part of this art form um and that there are very few people who make a better spokesperson for what opera can be in the 21st century than ryan speedo green mm. okay uh ash did you have somebody you want to nominate for a person of the year uh it is. It's a little bit abstract, but would it be a mm. comment for me if it weren't a little bit uh, off kilter? Uh, my nomination for person of the year is the opera goer, the audience member under the age of 50. This is like when time said that you were the person of the it's year. Like a, a mirror was <laughs> in the place of the picture. <laughs> Hundred percent. You know, these are folks that are newer to the party often. Uh, some of them are like us, but I'm starting to see more and more people that have never been to operas before that are starting to come. Those representations and people like Ryan Speedo Green are that that sort of representation on stage is driving younger audiences to come in. Their interest in their ticket sales are starting to shape the way that companies are doing programming decisions and casting. The, you know, the diversity promises of 2020 are manifesting now and it's bringing in audiences that are younger, that are more diverse. That representation absolutely does matter. And they are the people that have shaped a lot of opera this year and will continue to shape opera moving forward. Well, I just want to talk about one person and their year, and that would be friend of the show, Will Liverman, uh, who made... Oh, wait, um, you win. You uh, win, Oliver. He made a role debut as Pelias uh, in Pelias and Melisande at LA Opera. He had his own opera produced, composed, uh, The Factotum at Lyric Opera Chicago. It was so good. It was so good. Uh, he returned to Opera Philadelphia to star in a world premiere, 10 Days in the Madhouse by Renee Orth. Uh, he had a pretty high Busy. profile per- performance singing Malcolm X uh, at the Met. <laughs> uh, he, a new recording of his uh, original music came out uh, called the Dunbar Sessions, which is definitely writing that, you know, just that narrow space that he's crafted for himself uh, between classical and, you know, um, gospel and, you know, rhythm and blues. Like, it's just a very weird line that he's sort of drawn uh, in that space that he fits into perfectly. And uh, to keep it very on brand for us, don't forget that he also sang the national anthem at the men's final of the U.S. Oh, Open. That's right. He sang the Black sure National did. Anthem. So yeah. he's had a pretty incredible year. And um, yeah, I think he should be the winner of the inaugural OBS Person of the Year. But maybe George has somebody else. I'm, I'm just waiting for Will Liverman, forget time, to be on the cover of like Rolling Stone magazine or to do like an ad for Rolex or something. Like, let's get some real money going for that guy. You know what I mean? Just like forget the, forget the opera thing. This is super tricky for for me. I, obviously, I've got to nominate a, a director or producer and, and fight my corner. I, I was thinking about, you know, Peter Sellers, who I got to meet at the Opera America conference, which was just a total highlight Drink. of my I'm, I'm 2023. 
Uh, it made me think of David Devan, of course, and all the work that he has done at Opera Philadelphia, and now he's he's stepping down. I was convinced that he was going to move on uh, back to his native Canada and start to run the Canadian Opera Company when he moved on from Opera Philadelphia. That does not seem to be the case. So I think my nominee is kind of straightforward, predictable, and completely earned, which is Barry Kosky. Uh, he has had a... a Yet another huge year. And what he brings is just consistency. He has done so many shows, of course, a long time association with the Komische Oper, fighting the corner uh, for Jews and Judaism in this business of the performing arts and in storytelling through music. He's had a fantastic year, winner of the International Opera Award for Best Director for 23. Barry Kosky would be my nom. Lastly, you can really PJ, tell that you didn't go to see any uh, live in HD broadcasts because of that nomination, George. <laughs> PJ has a nomination for Person of the Year as well, and it's his own son. He says, hey, I was able to introduce Aww. opera to a few first-timers, and including his son, Finn, who has now seen four operas by the age of 13, which I think is pretty darn well, bad. I mean, that's that goes into Ashley. That's really so Ashley's like, person of the year, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, proud of that. Well, as the uh, creative consultant of Opera Boxer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead <laughs> and, and declare yourself that. the victor. <laughs> of course. In true Oliver I'm, I'm consulting fashion. all of you to agree with me that Will Liverman <laughs> is the opera person of the year, or just the Opera box score person of the year. Time to wrap up the last show of 2023. Gosh, it's been a total blast from the past, y'all. So great to have the entire team here once again as we finish up in 2023. Good call, bad call. It's the last one of the year. We're going to kick it off. 
Matt Cummings. I've got some holiday road trips coming up for me in the next days. Well, one of them will be, at least one of them will be in the past by the time you're actually hearing this. But what better way to pass the time on your holiday road trips than by listening to the only memoir whose length can be measured in terms of complete ring cycles. Coming in at three complete ring cycles is My Name is Barbara at 48 Hours. You can drive all the way across the continental United States and still have content. Weston Williams. <laughs> well, I was thinking, well, what's a good, good call for the whole year? And I was thinking and I was looking back at all my answers and I realized there was a fairly large hole for like spring into summer. And I was like, why didn't I see anything? Oh, yeah, I got married. So that's my good call is getting married and uh, walking down the aisle to the violin solo from Einstein on the beach. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Oh, that's operatic, <laughs> at least. So. Yeah. That's Keeping so it sweet. on brand. Yeah. Gosh, your wife puts up with a lot. Ashley, what do you got? <laughs> uh, we're going to round out the year with uh, the series that I have done for the entire month of December, which is Ashley's Holiday Album Recommendations. This is the third and final mm. for 2023. Uh, this is the 30th anniversary year of what is my personal favorite holiday album ever, which is Boys to Men's Christmas Interpretations. It came out in 1993. It was the second album from the magical group that is Boys to Men. It's almost all new tracks, but the one thing that is not new is what might be my favorite cover of Silent Night ever. It's an incredible album. It's great to have on in the background while you're wrapping presents, hanging out with friends, trying not to argue politics with your relatives. So I encourage you, boys to men's Christmas interpretations. Oliver Camacho. Um, my good call, bad call is sort of like, uh, meh. Uh, so it's a meh call. Okay. Um, as I expected, the season finale of Gilded Age season two did culminate in uh, opening night at the Metropolitan Opera. Um, and I really loved this this series this year. Uh, I thought especially Cynthia Nixon gave an incredible performance this year. Uh, but the finale was, in fact, at, at the new Metropolitan Opera. And uh, they showed us the boxes. They showed us, you know, the lobbies and they showed us, you know, beautiful costumes. We didn't get to see the stage. We didn't get to see a performance, which was a bummer. And mm. I felt like if you're going to spend all this money on the show, give us a set. Please yes. let us see some opera. You know? Of course. At least work in the Faust Spiel House joke, <laughs> which is just. <laughs> well, it was Faust in Italian. So I have a good call, which hasn't even happened yet before you've listened to the show, which is Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols from King's College, Cambridge. For me, this is the absolute core of Christmas. It is some of the best singing in the world. Do not miss. Sunday, December 24th, 9 a.m. Central Time. You're going to check your local listings. I guarantee you it will give you everything you want from the season. And do not miss whatever the world premiere commissioned carol is this year. I cannot wait mm. to find out. That is it for this week's edition and this year in America's Talk radio show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, get your voice heard, and find links to stuff we've talked about at our website, operaboxscore.com. That is also where you can put your money where our mouths are. Give back to the OBS on the support the team page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. 
For co-hosts Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you struggle to stay up to midnight in your time zone. We're back with all new shows starting on Thursday, January 11th, but look for a bonus episode in your feed between now and the 12th day of Christmas. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more listicles. Join us.